in this seek season. We want to spend four weeks just kind of working through this idea of seeking. We want to be all in on seek season. So let's go together to Genesis 29, verse number 20. It says, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. I want to talk from this subject in our time together, family. We've got work to do. We've got work to do. Family, several years ago at a men's gathering, I conducted an informal poll in an attempt to get a sense of what words men would use to describe their, their sentiments and sensibilities regarding their relationships. I knew I would get an array of emotions, but I was looking for one word that stuck out head and shoulders above the rest that described the way the majority of the men felt not about, but in their relationships. And as you could imagine, there were a plethora of responses, but there is one sentiment that consistently stood out undeniably, unequivocally, head and shoulders above the rest. And that was, in that room, most men felt unappreciated. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Please don't read what I'm not writing. I am not saying they were saying they were unappreciated. I'm saying they felt unappreciated. They felt as if there was not adequate expression. There was not intentionality when it came to verbally or visibly articulating the value of the contribution that they were making to the relationship. And as I began to reflect on that experience, I came to the conclusion and to the consensus that it's not only men who share that sentiment. That anybody can be in a relationship where they feel loved, maybe needed, but that doesn't mean they feel valued. And there is very little more frustrating and demotivating and discouraging to being, watch this, to seeing someone that can't see you. Because just because we are seeing each other doesn't mean we see each other. Did you hear what I just said? Just because we are seeing each other doesn't mean we don't see each other. And I realize and recognize that getting this right is really a key to shifting any relationship. Okay. This is why in this series, Relationships, we've been arguing that every relationship must go through relationships. Because if a relationship doesn't go through relationships, what will end up happening is you will look up one day and see we had a great relationship. But we no longer have a great relationship because things change and we change, but the relationship didn't. And I don't know about you, but if, 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 if you are, watch this, if you are going to sign up 
for something meaningful, you don't want it to be characterized by misery. That if this is going to be long term, it, it, it's got to be more than long. It needs to be strong. And this is why these shifts are important, because if your standard for relationships is simply a cultural standard, then you are okay with relationships simply being not bad. But if your standards for relationships is a kingdom standard, you are not okay with relationships simply being not bad because God didn't send Jesus didn't come on the cross to die just for us to have a life that's not bad. He didn't send the Holy Spirit just for us to have a life that's not bad. He didn't give us all of these abilities and this acumen and these opportunities for us to have a life that's not bad. Settling may be standard for culture, but it is not standard for the kingdom. You can settle in the kingdom. You just won't be happy settling because God puts something on the inside of you that has an appetite for more and you can suppress it and you can ignore it, but you cannot evict it because truth be told, there is something on the inside of you that is allergic to average. Now you might be tolerating it, but you're still allergic to it and you shouldn't apologize for it. Did you hear what I just said? I'm not apologizing for what make me itch. If, if, it's, if you are okay with it, then I'm going to let you be okay with it. But my Bible tells me God wants to do exceedingly and abundantly and above all I ask a thing. I don't want an average mind. I don't want an average job. I don't want average resources. And I don't want an average relationship. Shift. I want to shift. I want to shift because when I do it, when I shift to doing it the king's way, not just culture's way, when I shift to doing it the king's way, then it produces a kind of relationship that's characterized by three realities. It produces, first of all, a relationship that's fruitful. Somebody say fruitful. This means you're able to produce together what couldn't be produced apart. Gosh, did you hear what I said? Be fruitful and multiply doesn't just doesn't just, I want you to catch this, doesn't just apply to conception. It applies to creation. It means that through our collaboration, we can create something that exists in the earth that would not exist if we didn't get together. This is why the devil doesn't mind you finding a person, but he wants to keep you from your person. Because when you get your person, y'all get together and you start producing stuff in the earth that cannot be produced any other way. I'm a little old school, so some of y'all, this is going to be too old for you, but a few of y'all will catch it. I'm a movement by myself. But I'm a force when we're together. I'm good all by myself, but you make me better. Is there anybody in the room today that says, I want somebody that makes me better. And when we get together, we make each other better. And we start producing stuff that makes the world better. Fruitful. I Meaning that there's some collaboration as a result of our partnership. There's some collaboration. There are things that are produced that add value to the world 
because we got together. Now, I can prove this biblically. I'm not going to bother, but I could. Because even when God arranges the first relationship, the relationship was a response. God arranging the relationship was a response to Adam's inability to carry out an assignment without a helper. So, so what Eve is called is a helpmate. So it's like God saying, I'm not just sending you company. I'm not just sending you company. I'm not just sending you somebody to eat with. I'm not just sending you somebody to travel with. I'm not just sending you somebody to go on vacation with. I'm not just sending you somebody to walk in the park with. I'm not just sending you somebody to live with. I'm sending you some help. I'm sending you an asset, not a liability. I'm sending you something, somebody that's going to help you step into a version of you that you didn't even know existed. I'm going to pull something out of you that you didn't even know was in you, Adam. Help. When Adam saw Eve, he said, she's attractive and an asset. Because if you read the text, God didn't say, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Adam looked at us and said, this is bone of my bone. And flesh of my flesh. It's fruitful. But it's not only fruitful. Number two, it's fulfilling. What does this mean? This means you're living in a place of relational satisfaction now let's correct some theology here I said let's correct some theology here let's correct some theology here you can compartmentalize homes you can compartmentalize tasks you can compartmentalize things but you cannot compartmentalize yourself each aspect of you is interdependent on another and anyone that assumes that one aspect of you is not impacting the other is deceived or naive. Where you are spiritually affects you emotionally. Did you hear what I said? If I'm not strong spiritually, I'm fragile emotionally. As a matter of fact, when the Bible talks about the fruit of the spirit, a large part of the fruit affects my emotional life. Joy, that's emotional. That's fruit of the spirit. That is evidence of the spirit guiding and governing my life. It produces the emotional result, the emotional disposition of peace. Joy. Come on, long suffering, patience. So where I am spiritually affects me emotionally. But see, the reverse is true. This is why theology gets off. Pastor Dudley and I, we're going to talk about this in Thrive on Wednesday. Hebrews 4.12 talks about how the soul and the spirit are analogous to bones, joints, and marrow. So how I am spiritually affects me emotionally, but how I am emotionally affects me spiritually. Because sometimes you know you need to pray, but you're too sad to. Where's my real church? Where's my real church? Come on, sometimes we know we need to worship, but we're too discouraged to. Some people have issue even relating to God as Father. Because of 
So when I, so when Jesus, when, when Jesus says your, your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask how that's going to resonate with you is impacted by what happened to you relationally and emotionally. So that creates your filter spiritually and whether or not you can embrace God as father. So if what happens to me, if where I'm spiritually affects me emotionally, if where I'm emotionally affects me spiritually, where I am emotionally affects me relationally. Yes. Absolutely. And where I am relationally affects me emotionally. And that doesn't mean I'm spiritually weak. It means I'm a human. Yes. Why are you sad? I just got broke up with. Give me a minute. Y'all not talking to me. You shouldn't be sad. Yes, I should. You hadn't read your whole Bible. My Bible says there's a time to weep. Come on. Now when the time is up, I need to stop. But there is a time, come on, to weep. The Bible says that the weeping is a process and a path that leads me to the rejoicing. Those that sow in tears. shall reap in joy and the reason some people won't reap in joy is because they won't sow in tears I need to, you to get away from people that won't let you cry let me go over here I'm not crying because I'm weak I'm crying so I can stay strong I'm not crying because I'm falling apart I'm crying so I can keep myself together now weeping may endure for a night Call me back tomorrow, but tonight. Weeping me, endure for a night. Watch this. It didn't say weeping will. It didn't say weeping will, weeping may. It may be a night, it may not. So it's hard to thrive emotionally when you're fighting relationally. It, like 90% of the other areas of our life can be flowing and fruitful. And as soon as your mind shifts to that other 10%, come on here, I don't even, right, right? It's, 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 it means that just because something is more doesn't mean it weighs more. Come on here. So, so you can have 90% going well over here, but if 10% is going bad in a relationship, you put them both on the scale, that 10% will weigh more. So when it's done the king's way, because I'm satisfied relationally, I'm flourishing emotionally. It means I'm not living in a constant state of constant frustration. Now, how real can I be at this service? You understand? Like, okay, I'm, I'm, I said, okay, here it is. Y'all have heard me use this analogy. Here, here's, here's an analogy of what it means to live in relational frustration. It means... 
that you're committed to only shopping at one store, but they won't put what you need on the shelf. Y'all told me that. <laughs> Literally. So I'm, it's a constant state of frustration. Because I can only shop at this store. So you put me in a position where I choose to be holy and frustrated. But when it's done the king's way, there's relational satisfaction because it means that their obsession is serving you and meeting your needs. And your obsession is serving them and meeting their needs. So everybody's needs are met. And then here's another one. Fulfilling. Did I talk about that already? Did I do fruitful? I did fulfilling. No, I did. I did flourishing. Yeah, guys, this is the third time I preached this today. I'm just, bear with me here. Fulfilling. Yeah, you live in a place of relationships. Y'all got it. All right. <laughs> now, how many? Thank you. Love you back. <laughs> how many know we, we want to shift to fruitful, flourishing, and fulfilling? And that's what this series is about. It's, been, it's about giving us keys that will shift the relationship in that direction. And so we talked about the key of communication. And then we talked about the key of comprehension last week. And today's about the key of cherishing. That's good. See, this key of cherishing, can we correct some theology? All right, so this key of cherishing is based on this principle. Everybody God made is equally valuable but everybody doesn't add equal value to you. Did you hear what I just said? Everybody that God made is equally valuable, but everyone doesn't add equal value to you. And so people that add unique value to you should be valued uniquely because it means that you realize and recognize that there are some things that are rare. So you can replace certain people, but you can't replace what they bring. Y'all missed that. Yep, so they got another one, but they didn't get another you. I'm going to say that one more time. They got another one, but they didn't get another you because they weren't wise enough to recognize rare, rare. See, when you're not wise enough to recognize rare, you treat rare like it's common. And you don't realize that everybody doesn't get rare. And so because everybody doesn't get rare, you're not entitled to rare. And so some people never get it. You get it one time and fumble it and think you're going to get it again. But you fumbled rare because you confuse rare with common. And some people's greatest mistake is they fumbled you in a season before they could see you. You thought it was sweet out there. You thought you could find another me. And now you've been outside and you want to come inside, but the door's locked. It's too late now. You fumbled.
This is why cherishing is important because cherishing, and some of us that are married, you vowed to do this. I don't know if you knew what you were saying when you said it. Come on. And Ecclesiastes says, it's, don't make a vow you don't intend to keep. It's better to make one, not make one, to make one and not keep it. And, and, and some of us said, I, I vow to love and cherish, which means you can love what you don't cherish. Woof. Did you hear what I just said? Because cherishing is the proper recognition of the unique qualities and contributions of your mate. Watch this. Not just recognition and responding to that recognition in a way that honors it, values it, and treasures it. This is unique. And I need to treat it like it's unique because there's no guarantee that if I lose this one, I find another one. Everyone might be replaceable, but everything they bring isn't. And wisdom gives you the ability to discern difference. It's rare. An example of what this looks like practically can be seen in our text here in the book of Genesis. This story is a powerful picture of what it means to cherish because the, the Bible is giving us some insight into this incident where culturally now, in this cultural context, marriages were arranged. So there's this young man named Jacob who wants to marry this woman he's enamored with named Rachel. So he goes to Rachel's father and says, I have nothing to barter but me. I don't have a rich daddy that can barter with you. As a matter of fact, I deceive my daddy. That's why I'm on the run. My brother want to kill me. I come from a family of dysfunction. But I don't want a family of dysfunction to come from me. <clears throat> Did you hear what I just said? Yeah. And, and so he says, so what I'll do is I'll offer you my indentured servitude for seven years. And at the end of seven years, give me Rachel. Laban says, okay. And the Bible says, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. That sounds so sweet, don't it? I say it just sounds sweet, don't it? But let me tell you the rest of the story. After seven years, he's so excited and emotionally intoxicated. He's at the wedding ceremony and a woman walks down the aisle that he thinks is Rachel. He goes through the whole wedding and never lifts up the veil. He consummates the marriage. <laughs> and then after the consummation, he gets a revelation. Your daddy didn't give me Rachel. Laban had another daughter named Leah. 
who was going to be a little more difficult. That's the Bible. That's... <laughs> so Laban switches because obviously he had seen some trait in, Joseph, in Jacob where he knew he wouldn't do thorough investigation. Come on. See, everybody watching you, not watching you to help you. Everybody watching you is not watching you because they're impressed with your strength. They're looking for a weakness. And he saw his naivety and his impulsiveness. He says, I can switch this. He's not even going to look. So he thought he got Rachel, but he ended up getting Leah. That happened to him literally. It can happen to us metaphorically when you don't lift the veil. When you don't do enough investigation, when you rush in too quickly, you end up thinking you're getting Rachel. And then you look up and you say, I didn't marry who I thought I did. I fell in love with my assumption about who you are. So it's not that I no longer love you. I never loved this version. Where is my church? It's a, I, I loved Rachel. This is Leah. I, you not. But I can't judge you because I ain't lift up the veil. So I can't punish you for not being what you've never been. You didn't fool me. I was foolish. But I was so excited at the wedding. I didn't notice. Rachel kind of built a little different today. I'm so excited at the wedding. Rachel walking a little different today. I'm so excited at the wedding. Rachel saying her vows. She don't really sound the same. All the signs become clear in retrospect. When you look back, you can see all the things you didn't look at. But Jacob goes back to Laban and say, bro, <laughs> what are we doing? Laban say, my bad. He said, I need Rachel. Laban said, I need seven more years. And Jacob said, yes. I'm like, wait a minute, Jacob. <laughs> but he got a revelation of rare. His experience with Leah only confirmed his desire for Rachel. He was like, Rachel, I thought you were rare, but now that I've had an experience with Leah, I realize and recognize that you are much more rare than I initially thought. And so now I got a greater appreciation for who she is. And so I'm, I'm going to cherish her because cherishing isn't an emotion, it's an action. The cherishing was revealed in his willingness to work for her. So she, he was working to get her practically. We should be working to keep them emotionally. 
See, when you don't work to keep them emotionally, you can assume because you have them, you got them. And I want you to know some people leave even though they never leave. That some people will never leave, but a part of them gone. And they're staying because it's easier to. It's not do you have them in the home, it's do you have their heart still. Tario played this out of this. It's cherishing. Pastor, what's this like? Practically, there's like a few things I want to give them to you. Y'all ready for points? All right, let's do this. All right, number one, practically, what does this look like? It looks like curiosity. It means there's this willingness. If you cherish me, there's this willingness to consistently explore where I am. That you're constantly trying to know me. Watch this, because curiosity brings clarity. You need clarity to see those unique qualities. Come on. Am I making sense? And clarity addresses the enemy of relational familiarity. See, this is what happens. You can have something that is rare so long that rare become common. That's why some people treat their lifestyle. You don't realize that the majority of the world don't live like you. The majority of the world does not live, but it is so common that you forgot it's rare. And sometimes you got to look at who you with and really ask yourself objectively, how many more of them did God make? I'm not talking about a man who could write a check or a woman who got a pretty body, but I'm talking about these qualities. How many more of them that God made? How many more of them do you trust to stay if you lose it all? If you sick, if you sick, will they stay? Will they help you to the bathroom? See, some people only pick people that are only good for a season. And when you're choosing for a lifetime, you got to trust them in every season. See, because just because someone values you doesn't mean they value the right things. Are you valuing something that can change? And I don't know you have time to deal with this, but I, could, I was going to take you to Mark 6, and I was going to show you how even with Jesus, familiarity blocks what's in the other person for you. Mark a prophet's not without honor except in his own home. He did not do many miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people. A few people got what was available for many. Because they were so familiar. Isn't this the carpenter's son, familiarity? I grew up with him. I know little Jesus. They grew up with him and there was something in him that they never pulled out because they wouldn't honor it. 
there's something in the person you with that never can get pulled out if we don't honor it. Cherish that. They getting questioned everywhere else. Some of them being second guessed everywhere else. Some of us are being dismissed everywhere else. When I come home. Questioned at work, questioned in rooms, dismissed, doubted, but when I come home, I need to feel seen. Curiosity. Number two, consideration. Hey, don't worship me. Consider me. I'm not asking you to put me in God's place. Put me in my place, though. Don't put me in God's place, but don't put me in another place I don't belong. Considering me, it means that you consider the implications of your actions or inaction. That if I ask you for something and you refuse to keep giving it to me, are you considering what life is like for me without that? If I say when you do that, it impacts me that way, are you considering me? Don't worship me. Don't put me in God's place. But after God, it should be me. If we marry I just want my right place. Number three, chasing. You're chasing their heart in constant pursuit of it. It's it's what Jimmy Evans calls the law of pursuit. Leaving and cleaving. Cleaving is pursuit. It's glue. I'm going to forever chase your heart. Because if you do that, you get a version of them that blesses you. Come on, man. Husbands, Ephesians 5. If you will let God use you to make your wife better, to sanctify her. The Bible says it's analogous to, to Christ in the church. He presents to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. You benefit from the version of the woman you with. So if you help her become that version, you benefit from that. Don't do all that work unless somebody else. You did all the work, then they get the upgraded version. The devil is a liar, period. And number four, commitment. We underestimate the power of consistency in a relationship. Are you committed to be consistent? Because my security is based on your predictability. If you're hot one day, cold another, I'm not going to feel... It's not even safe for me to feel secure. Are you committed to consistency because you have an adherence to certain principles? Because I don't know what I'm going to get at work. I don't know what I'm going to get at the gym, I don't know when I'm going to but I need to know when I'm going to get when I come home. This is the one place I don't want to have to wonder. And God is glorified through relationships like that. And the only reason you make these shifts that we've talked about in this series is because your passion and your heart It's to glorify God through that relationship.
because it's a simple principle, but it's hard work. It's hard work and it's heart work. And if your only motivation is having a great relationship, you're still not going to do this work. But if you want to have one that people look at and it glorifies God, say God is using my relationship to reignite hope in people regarding relationships. That's what I want my marriage to be. Lord, would you use this to reignite hope into people about the possibility of this? Be glorified. Get glory out of this. In Jesus' name. You receive that? Yes. Clap your hands, everybody.